deep in the backwoods of America. We have climbed the highest mountains, searched the densest forest, dragged the swamps, and scoured the prairies to find our leader, retired U.S. Marine gunny, Bud Cornwell. Great Patriots America, I got a wonderful individual that has a lot of knowledge about internal, you know, our thoughts, our feelings, all, all of that stuff that we have to deal with in our country. Her name is Phyllis Levitt. Levitt, Levitt? yeah. Levitt. Levitt, okay. She's a psychotherapist. And those of us that have talked to therapists before, which is I'm one of them, it's a very helpful way of dealing with difficulties in our lives and, and how we can overcome certain things in our lives. And she lives with her husband in Taos, New Mexico. She has three amazing grown children and three beautiful grandchildren. I have six, so I got to beat. All right. Right. And as a lover, art, nature, and gardening, of course. I mean, you know, the, the earth is full of all of these wonderful things that we have to absorb to help us. In my mind, when I go out on vacation, it releases all the stress in my life when I uh, go out to nature. Mm -hmm. She has a master's degree in uh, philosophy. No. College, psychology. Psychology and counseling from Antioch University and has a private uh, psychotherapy practice for over 30 years. That's amazing. It's a long time. Well, it is a long time. A lot of times... You know, these people have to deal with the rest of us crazy people and uh, doesn't last that long. So but you're you're awesome. She has recently retired now focused on writing. Awesome. Write books. It's great. Uh, this is her deepest hope. And I think the rest of us feel the same way is that together we bring the family of America the same healing we are learning to bring to individual families and thus to all children who will inherit everything we leave them. It would be nice if the world was perfect and, you know, we can understand that, but we have to raise our children to understand the world is not perfect, but we have to raise them to understand that so they have the strength to be in the world. So here's the biggest issue that I got from your website, which I think is awesome. Are you, you mystified why so many of us support the kinds of hatred and violence in our country that we could not want in our lives? I, I couldn't put it any better. I was a Marine for 20 years. And I went across the world, different countries, and a lot of times I questioned, why do we have to fight? Why do we have to go to combat? Why do we have to do these things when the world should, you know, all come together and, and be peaceful? And that's a great, great issue. Now, she has written two books that I know of and one on the way. A Light in the Darkness and Into the Fire, which hopefully you can explain those two. And then the new one, which I really got interested in when I seen that, is America in Therapy. So that's her new book that is coming out. So welcome, Phyllis, to the Patriot Cause. Glad you're here with us. Well, thank you so much for having me here, Bud. It's just really my pleasure and honor to talk with you today. So let's just start off with that issue. Mm -hmm. 
hatred and violence. And this is what we're dealing with every single minute of this day. How do we uh, cope with this? And how do we change the world, which hopefully towards the end of the podcast, we have, you know, some type of idea of what we can do to progress our world into a, a better place to live. Yeah. Well, I love your question. And I think it's a question that many people have. And that's why I put it right on the top of my homepage on my website. Um, and one of the gifts of having been a psychotherapist for all this time is that, you know, people come to therapy because they're experiencing some kind of pain, some kind yes. of uh, loss of love, some kind of violation of love or their dependencies, some kind of betrayal. Um, really, the main pain that people bring is the pain in failed human relations. Yes. And, and it's out of that out of that pain of, you know, being mistreated or being abused or being, alienated and not accepted or being undervalued or being um, discriminated against all these kinds of injuries that people suffer, whether it's in their home or in their community cause symptoms. We, it's just like if your body is invaded by a virus, it's going to have symptoms to let you know it's ailing and it needs treatment. And when we're mistreated by other people, we have symptoms and they're supposed to let us know that something's wrong in the human relations around us. And again, whether it's in our family or in our community or in our country or both or all. Right. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't understand that and they blame people for their symptoms. And so they're stigmatized. So someone who's who's being beaten at home or sexually molested or, you know, just told you're a loser, you're never going to amount to anything or uh, an adopted child who's told I'm going to send you back to the orphanage. Nobody wants you. And all these things I have worked with, you know, in my practice and many more Um People become symptomatic when they are treated that way, and they have many different kinds of symptoms. Uh, people can have, you know, end up being um, having addictions or being very isolated and not able to function well in a social climate. They can have learning problems. They can become highly aggressive. They can become very helpless and easily overpowered. The list of symptoms is long, and. Yes. The reasons why I wrote my book, and there's many reasons why I wrote my book, um, is to, to help explain that, that when people are highly symptomatic, and, and I'm even talking about on the end of mass murderers, something happened to those people that made them so disconnected from their own humanity and connection to other human beings that they didn't see any other way except to commit suicide and take other people out with them. Um, and it is kind of known that most mass murderers are suicidal. So what makes a person suicidal? Pain. What heals? Yes. What heals yep. is love and connection and cooperation Absolutely. and acceptance. And, and the one I like to stress a lot, which speaks to what you were saying about being a Marine is peaceful conflict resolution. We yes. need as a country, we need as individuals to be committed to peaceful conflict resolution. So that's my, that's my, my short answer to a long question, <laughs> but please jump in. <laughs> No, absolutely. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of background that many people don't know, because uh, now that I'm older, I have the ability in my heart to release this information. A lot of people keep it in, as mm. you know. And right. But uh, over the years, especially coming out of the service, I've learned to, to talk and help it helps me to understand my situation, where I came from, where I'm at, where I need to go. Uh, you're never going to forget your past, but you can correct it. Yeah. That's that's the, the biggest issue. 
So I was raised in a very small community in Louisiana with seven uh, kids in a very violent type of environment. Didn't go to church, didn't do anything community wise. Uh, to me, my experience of love, believe it or not, most of all, most of the time was at school. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's just how it works out. And so a lot of us that go through those life changing events are don't have the ability to, uh, like you're saying, uh, recorrect our lives. Fortunately, I joined the Marine Corps when I was 18. It gave me structure that my family did not. And through that process, uh, I learned how become how to become a a person, how to have respect, and and those kind of things. And it's very difficult for a lot of us, especially veterans, uh, that have gone through that, to uh, experience the changes that are necessary, even in in the military that I was in, I was seeing the same individual types uh, that I grew up with, you know, right. the aggressive individuals, the, the hatred, you know, you're lesser than them, etc. But we power through that. And I thank God today, because of the 20 years I spent in the Marine Corps, even though I seen things I didn't want to, but it it made me the individual to to understand the truth of what human beings are and how valuable we are. And and right. the, to me, that was my turning point. And I became very successful afterwards, you know, climbing up the ladder in corporations, became a chief information officer, you know, and it's it's just amazing uh my recovery as i call it from my childhood it it doesn't haunt me anymore i don't have any, any more of those uh what i would call distinct events in in my life that most people have never experienced and the reason behind that is part of, you know, being in the service. But the other part is just like you being able to talk to somebody that will listen. Well, first off, listen to you. Right. 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 And then and and then believe that you're a human being and not just something of, of the world that's going on. So. I, I uh I appreciate you tremendously and what you're doing. And I'm excited, very excited about this new book, America in Therapy, uh, that's coming out. Uh, the VA and other organizations are trying the best that they can to help us not to kill ourselves. Right. You know, there's 22 veterans a day. I know committing suicide and it's 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 because of the same thing they they've never had the actual love guidance of someone uh, to connect with them so hopefully in your work not only for veterans but for all Americans uh, we can understand that do not capture and keep all that stuff in your heart because it's it's going to lead to the destruction. Yeah, and and just harking back really quickly to what I said in the beginning, it will make people symptomatic for the most part if you don't process the pain, if you don't process the trauma, if you don't have someone who is compassionate and wise to talk to, who believes you and can help you recover your true self that got buried underneath the trauma, it's very likely that you're going to be symptomatic. And unfortunately in our culture, not only are, does our culture often blame people for their symptoms, but we often blame ourselves 
for our symptoms. You know, how come I'm not stronger? Why can't I get it together? Why am I drinking this much? How come I can't make good relationships? Or why am I not kinder to my family? You know, and we end up blaming ourselves for what are really understandable symptoms of unhealed trauma. And whether you're a vet or you're a survivor of abuse in your abuse, family. Yep. Um, and there, and and what I I really like to share with people out of my experience, and it's a sad thing to share, but I think it's a sort of a wake up thing to share. Out of my experience of being a therapist for so many years, with you know, with average Americans, um, there is a lot of abuse in the home in our country, and it is a very sad state of affairs because. Um, there are so many people who never get treatment and who don't understand why they are the way they are, whether they're yep. helpless and passive and easily subdued and, and easily exploited, or if they're aggressive and raging, you know, so many people are a mystery to themselves and um, we have to stop stigmatizing each other and really get to the roots of family dysfunction. And one of the, one of the main issues of my book is to help people understand the correlation between what we know about dysfunctional and abusive families, those dynamics where um, children and spouses are often victimized, then they're blamed for their symptoms, then they're persecuted if they try to get help or tell the truth outside the family. And often some people are rewarded for being complicit with the abuser. So one of the main points of my book is to say that some of these same dynamics are happening on a much larger level. They're happening in our communities, they're happening in the workplace, and they're happening in government. And that many people are being stigmatized and targeted and mistreated yeah. on huge levels um, because of, and this is this is a really big point in my book, we're taught to believe that these are ideological partisan issues. We're, it's the right. whole rhetoric yep. of red against blue and conservative against liberal is being fueled. Absolutely. Absolutely. When in fact, these are psychological issues. Yes. These are signs of declining mental health in our country. And the reason why this is so, and I'm so happy that you're shaking your head. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I agree 100%. The reason why this is so, why these are psychological issues, I can say this in a way that I think anyone can understand, is that in a family, healthy, basically healthy, functional parents do not target certain children. They do not not feed certain children. They do right. not lock certain, certain some of their children out in the cold. They don't kidnap anybody. They don't murder anybody. Yeah. They don't discriminate against you know a family member. In a healthy family, we try to provide for everybody. And we try to work out and we love everybody. And we care about the well-being and the future of everybody. You know, we send all the kids to college if we can afford it. We make sure they do their homework. All of the kids. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, we don't put one kid out to work at the age nope. of 11 in a factory. You know, yes. Um, we don't do these things in a healthy family. And so I talk about the family of America as our larger family. And can we look at the dynamics in the in the family of America through that same lens? And the biggest one, which I mentioned before, or one of the really big ones, which I mentioned before, is in a healthy family, when there's conflict, people don't act violently toward each other. They find a way to work it out. Even if they have to restrain a kid that's having a terrible tantrum, Yes, do it with love and do it without bodily harm. No, absolutely. So let me give you an example of that. Please. Right. Um, I have two children. I have six grandchildren. And both of those children are on different spectrums of political and ideology. Okay. Right. It's just, it's just how it happened. Yeah. They both went to college and, you know, it's just what it is. But here's here's the thing. Sorry about the focus here, but okay. uh, the, the issue that I I have a hard time understanding is uh, 
I have one child, my daughter per se. Yeah, my daughter. That her idea is this timeout stuff. There's a purpose for it, and I get that, but it cannot be the sole uh, circumstances when a person, a child, does something. You can't just put them in a corner and do that because they know when they do something else, they're going to go right back to the corner. So they already know what the circumstances are. My son, on the other hand, is different. He doesn't necessarily use the timeout. He never uses it. The reason behind it is once they do something that is abnormal, uh, best way to put it, or, you know, between each other as kids or disrespect to the parent, whatever, he pulls them aside and he talks to them like human beings, even at five, six years old and says, what are you doing? And then you you have this conversation and then he's able to to talk to these children so that they can absorb what they did and uh, what the circumstances behind what they did is, who what the impact was, who did you impact by doing those actions? And if they do really bad things, you know, physically, whatever, then that's when you kind of use this timeout and put them, you know, separate them. Right. So that they can they can release that energy and and not being aggressive towards your family. And this is what I think is the problem is we have so many parents that are focused on their lives, their, you know, jobs, all that stuff. It's, it's, you know, like a process, come home, get the kids, feed them, they go crazy, put them in the corner, then you put them to bed. You know, it's just a, a cycle that just continues over and over again. And they, they never learn the circumstances of what they have done. It's just, you know, go, go to timeout as an example. Yeah, I mean, th- those are some really good points that that have big implications because part of what, you know, par- and it's difficult to be a parent. Um, you know, oh, absolutely. Oh, very yeah. difficult to be a parent. So it's not a job for the faint of heart, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think some of the good points that you bring up that go into some of the things that I talk about are, you know, if you have a child that ends up, you know, in the corner a lot, then we need to ask ourselves, what's going on? What does that child need that they're not getting? Why are they they continuing the same habit? Right. Instead of thinking, oh, this is a bad kid, or this is a really problem kid, or he needs to be taught a lesson or something like that. We need to inquire, like, what's going on? And it could be, you know, that he's really not getting enough attention of of the kind that he really needs. Or it could be that somebody was mean to him at school that he hasn't told anybody. Or it could be that he's, you know, it could be anything. And we need to discover that at the same time that we put a limit on some of the behaviors that are not okay. And that's what we need to do as a general population. Like if there's people who are really acting out, there are multiple, you know, they've they've committed many crimes. What's what happened to them? How did they end up that way? One of the things that I researched when I was writing my book and discovered was that um, the statistics for child abuse and neglect for the incarcerated population are much higher than the average population. So we have people that have untreated trauma who have acted out in our society because that's how their pain manifested, who didn't get help and who end up turning to crime. Yes, we don't want them to turn to crime. And if they've committed really terrible crimes, they may need to be separated from the rest of the population, but they deserve help. Whether they And they deserve rehabilitation whenever it's possible. And we have to know in our country that many of the people who are really acting out and having these terrible tantrums are really crying for help. 
And that's one of the things that we know in the world of psychology um, that I don't think is common knowledge. So I'll give you a good example. You know, I've had, I had in, in the beginning of my practice, I worked almost exclusively with children. And most of the children that came to therapy came for bedwetting or being aggressive to their their siblings or, you know, not paying attention in school and being kind of a problem in the classroom um, or having excessive fears of the dark or spiders or, you know, couldn't go to school or things like that. And invariably, their symptoms were a call for the family to get help. Something was going on in the family. The parents were fighting. There was a nasty divorce. There was fighting over custody. Um, another sibling was out of control and nobody was stopping them and they were being hurt. They were being, you know, sometimes it was molestation or physical violence, but their symptoms were calling for help for the family. But since they were the most symptomatic one, they were the one identified as the problem. And this is a huge issue for our country, for all large institutions. The most symptomatic are calling for help for something that's not working in the family system. And I don't think the average person knows this. And so we're so quick to stigmatize the people who are acting out or acting in. Um, does that make sense to you? No, it makes absolute sense. Um, I, what I'm thinking about here is kind of strange. Uh, a lot of people are more concerned about their life and their family than anything else. But as a country, as a whole, we have to understand culturally what is actually happening. That's right. Because you're delivering your kids into an education system those kind of things, right? That is that has changed. The values have changed. The you know the understanding of America has changed. I mean, there's just th th this different culture that I grew up in in the '60s and the '70s, right? Right. right. So, but here's my concern: is I think that a large part of why we're dealing with these issues is because of the foundation of a family. Right. If you go back to, you know, when, when we were kids and our families and the majority of the, of the families that we dealt with, uh, some of them were destructive, but they, there wasn't as many, destructive families are that are today and the proof is in the statistics of marriage mm. my wife and i this october will have been married for 40 years wonderful yep so the point i'm making is is we've been through tremendous times with our kids with our grandkids with ourselves you know constantly back and forth but now we're dealing with a uh a conceptual idea of people that feel that the marriage bond concept is not what it used to be the percentages of people that are getting divorced and getting remarried and remarried oh let me try it again try it again they're they're in my mind what they're doing is they think by getting remarried into another environment etc is going to improve their situation but nine times out of ten they have issues that they haven't dealt with and it just carries on and keeps carrying on because uh you know, they just don't realize it. Mm -hmm. uh, how do we uh, make adjust? How do we change the society or work towards changing the society of America that the family is first? And if you have issues, there's, you know, lots of people. Lots of organizations that can help you correct that problem instead of you just, you know, continuing to put yourself 
into these uh, abusive relationships, whether it's your fault or somebody else's, you know, it's the same results. We're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to continue our discussion with Phyllis Levitt talking about the family, people attacking each other, and the declining of mental health. You gotta find your people, the ones that make you feel all right. But can you wanna stay up with all night? You gotta find your people, the ones that make you feel whole. They won't leave your side when you lose control. The ones that don't let you lose your soul. You gotta find your people, the ones that get the joke. To understand what you're saying for a word is spoke You gotta find your people To put the needle in the groove When you're together you got nothing to prove When you're together you got nothing to lose In a world full of strangers You don't know who to trust All you see is danger Trying to find what you lost can't go it alone Everybody needs help You gotta find your people Then you'll find yourself You gotta find your people That'll call your bluff Who ride along when the road is rough You gotta find your people The ones that make you feel equal they pick you up and don't put you down Help you find your way in the lost and found In a world full of strangers You don't know who to trust All you see is danger Trying to find what you lost You can't go it alone Everybody needs help You gotta find your people Then you find yourself That understand you, the ones that lend a hand to you, the ones that don't demand anything from you. You gotta find your people, the ones that make you feel alright, that tell you the truth and wish you well. You gotta find your people, then you'll find yourself You gotta find your people, then you'll find yourself Welcome back, Patriots. This is The Gunny, and you're on The Patriot Cause. We are back with psychotherapist Phyllis Levitt, who is in the process of writing a book called America in Therapy. Well, for me, I, I mean, I think it's a multifaceted issue. So, you know, I think there's a lot of ways that it probably needs to be approached. But some of the big ones that stand out to me, and I, I know I agree with you, I totally agree with the idea that I would love to see a country in which the family actually is first. And that means that we provide medical care for everyone, that we provide good education for everyone, that there's a living wage for everyone, that right. there's justice for everyone. Um, and that you do know, because a lot of what's happening in the family, like, and I, I do want to say, you know, in the, in the community that I grew up when I was a kid, Almost nobody that my parents knew got divorced. It was yeah. very rare. And it really has changed. And I don't think it's because people are just like morally corrupt. I think it's because the stressors on the family are so high now. Yeah. Um, 
Absolutely. The and again in my in my community, and there were lots of communities that I didn't live in when I was a kid, but in my community, almost none of the mothers worked either. And times have changed. The economic pressures on families are so enormous, and the wage inequality is so tremendous that people have to work. And so they're not there for their kids, and they're probably not there for themselves, you know, to a large extent. And how do you keep a marriage alive? And I think you're an amazing success that you have. <laughs> yeah. uh, because because I think it that's it's rare. I think it's, you know, it's more rare than it used to be. Let's just put it that way. So so some of it, and again, these are social issues. These are issues for the family of America. If we really care about all Americans and we care about all families, which really means that we care about all children because the children are the recipients of what their parents are able or not able to do, um, then we need to provide for everyone. And that should be, one of our main priorities. And so, you know, I, I've said this many times and I'll say it again, that if you had an individual family and all of the resources of that family or a lot of them were going toward an arsenal of weapons, you would say, what's wrong with these people that they're not spending that money on medical care and, you know, a good house and education, you would see what's wrong with them. And I think we have to look at that in our country. Why are we investing billions of dollars in weapons that could destroy life on earth? Why are we in better ways to kill more people? That is mental illness. (laughs) Yeah, That is not, I'm not, you know, like I said, I supported my country I believe yeah. in what we're doing. Uh, I I still believe in the Constitution of America, yep. uh, but I know for a fact, you know, even what, when I was in the Marine Corps, that we were doing things that that uh, you know, invading countries that we should never do. And why can we not learn from other countries that doesn't have the economic right. power that we have? There's countries in Africa that, you know, family is first. Yeah. And and they take care of ev- everyone in, you know, in their country. And it's just, it's, it's just, it's weird how we're supposed to be the light of the world. And yet we are the ones that are more focused on policing the world. Does that make sense? Thank you for saying that because I told you. And this, I don't don't understand that. Well, to me, and the reason why I wrote the book really is because I believe it's our declining psychological health that is accounting for that. It really isn't ideological. Um, The fact that people are going after each other with horrible rhetoric and, you know, condemning their family members. And we have this growing surge of death threats against people who just have a different opinion. Um, These are psychological issues. These, this is just declining mental health on a severe level that, and I think one of the things that I love about talking about this from the point of view of psychology is psychology is not partisan. It's not Republican or Democrat. Nope. It's not liberal or no, absolutely not. Psychology is invested in healing human relations. It's invested in healing our own hearts and it's invested in healing our own behaviors and it's invested in healing our relationships. And if we could bring the values of the best psychotherapy to our country, we would have a different role model coming from our leaders. And I do want to say that that's one of the things that is so destructive today is that Many of the people in such huge positions of power are role modeling, role modeling behaviors that we would never want in our own homes. No, and absolutely. We're seeing them. Our children are learning from this. Young people are learning from yeah. this. If you go back to World War II, as an example, right? Yeah. Um, America did the right thing. These countries did the right thing because we were eliminating uh, tyranny. We're eliminating, you know, these people that wanted to kill millions. 
right? But ever since then, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, all these other countries, it's all political. It's, you know, always thought that the, the military service was defending our country. Right. Right. Not going out and, you know, it's not defending some political idea, but I learned that probably halfway or three quarters away through my uh, time in the military. And then I realized this, this is not right. 9-11 happened three months before I retired. And, you know, it was an attack. So, you know, I, I get that. But at, at the same time, the the issue that we're dealing with today is we're still spending more time on foreign policy and, and trying to correct the world and less effort in correcting our own country, our own problems that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And if we don't refocus our country and into our people, that's right. Right. It, it's just going to be, you know, it's going to be hard to live because you're going to have so many people with so many problems in their lives that it's it's just going to continue to grow. And we can throw the jail system in there. You know, we have X number of prisons across the country that can't even handle all of these issues that these people have. Instead so of you can't you can't solve them in a prison. I don't care what anybody says. It must be done through the culture, through society, through education. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. I mean, 100% on the same page about that. It must be done through caring for people and yep. allocating our resources in the ways that we know people need to be cared for. And yes. one of the things that I I, I talk about, and I I may may write more about in a second book, is that there's an addiction to power, just like there's an addiction to money and substances yes. and, and all kinds of things. There's an addiction to power that plays out in a way that really destroys empathy or any kind of humanitarian impulses toward other people, that power and control become the goal and yes. they become weaponized. And these are huge psychological issues. And again, I want to repeat, they're not ideological issues. They're psychological issues. Yes. You know, I just watched, I don't know if you've seen this, but I just watched a documentary called The Heart of Invictus. And it was, um, it was about, um, I guess you'd call them sort of like Olympic games for vets who had been injured in combat. Yes. And it was incredible. I was so deeply moved by this documentary. There were, you know, paraplegics and people with multiple amputations and gunshot wounds and people suffering unbelievable pain from post-traumatic stress disorder that had just really demolished, practically demolished their ability to function. Yes. And it really showed sort of like what you were talking about earlier, like, why are we doing this? Why are we killing people? Why exactly. are we people? Why are, you know, God bless every single one of the people that they, who's, and they went into their stories in such a moving way. Yeah. Um, yep. And it was beautiful what these Olympic Invictus games did for them because it was very healing for yes. on, on so many levels for so many people. But you have to ask yourself, why? Why do we do this in the first place? Why don't we commit all of our resources to peaceful conflict resolution and keep at it no matter what it takes? Yep. The, the, the thing about it, uh, Phyllis, is this. History over and over yep. and over again. So I use that as an example because if I was to, if I raised my kids like I was raised, they would right. go through the same difficulties. Right. And this is, you know, it's, it's, it's repeating. That's the power right. that you're talking about, you know, the governments uh, uh, wanting to control people and control environments and all that stuff. 
people should be free, completely free across the world to live a life in, in absolute no fear of any yes. kind. Fear yeah. of going to war or or fear of of you know police, fear of anything. I agree with that, you. You know, that's that's the way life is supposed to be lived. And uh unfortunately throughout history, uh leaders would stand up, they would conquer countries and and try to do this process as we call it right oh you know we're gonna take care of you and do all that but then turns right back around it's like the roman government a great example you know they were quote a republic by the people for the people remember all that stuff and their atrocities that they did for years and years you know for 500 years as a quote republic uh gives you an example and i use this as a a basis of human value when a roman citizen and his wife had a child when that child was born the man could determine right there on the spot whether or not that child was going to live and be part of their family if not they were destroyed I did not know that. Can you imagine living? Yes, that is that is the truth. For years and years, for hundreds of years, this was the rule in the Roman environment. You know, now you think, all right, you check the arms, the legs, the fingers, you know, they're, they're healthy. Okay, so we'll keep them. Then, you know, then you had dysfunctional kids or whatever, like, nope, in the trash, that person goes. And what are we doing today? The same thing. We're we're eliminating the value of human life from the beginning of the world. And this all portrays part of that hatred of right. humanity. That's just the way I look at it. I I am so on the same page with you. Um I, I really feel like, and, and I feel the urgency, and this is another reason why I wrote the book, America in Therapy, the urgency is that we now have weapons that could destroy life on earth. Yes. You know, before, you know, a warlord could have war with their neighbor and kill a lot of people, which was horrible, but we can kill us all. And Absolutely. I, I don't Absolutely. know. Absolutely. Right? Like that, just like that. It, you and know, so the whole continent's gone. What are we doing? What are we doing? It's insanity is what yeah. it is. It's pure insanity. Yeah. And where, I, where power, like you're talking about, power has now exceeded the human value of people on the planet. When you're yeah. talking about like Russia, Putin's talking about, you keep pushing me, I'm going to launch nuclear weapons. You know, and, it's it's real. This is not fake world. That's right. The that's world right. that we live in. It is. And, urgent. Yep. And it's it because is. of like you're talking about, we're talking about psychology of an individuals that have power over right. the rest of us that right. do not take human value or human beings as more important than the power that they have in their environment, whether it's government or or whatever it is, tyranny, billionaires, etc. It's it's all in the same boat. They think that they're better than the rest of humanity. And we know that is not how a right. world should live. Right. And no one should have that amount of power. And yet it's so addictive that not only do people want to keep it once they have it, but they will enroll whoever they can, whoever they can manipulate into supporting them. And we see that all over the world, not just in America. Um, and it's it's truly frightening. I, I just want to say this one of the one of the things that that I that I'm so sensitive to, like I'll hear a news report, you know, this country, Russia or whoever it was now, because they're waging war on Ukraine, you know, bombed a hospital, bombed a school, bombed a marketplace. What are we doing? We're talking about yeah. killing children and babies and innocent they don't, people. They don't who care. Have nothing <laughs> they don't to care. Do. 
with they don't anything. care. Yep, absolutely. Just, for me, it's like we have to know that it's not like twenty thousand people. It's 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 people just like you and me. It's people who had grandchildren who love their grandchildren. It's people who were expecting babies. It's people who had dreams for their lives. And I think we have to know that. Um, that it's a humanitarian crisis. I guess that's the word I would. No, put. exactly. Let me ask you this. Is it possible that America could end up doing the same thing that China did when they turned communists that Russia did? Right. So China, 60 million people because they were against a government gone. Russia, 40 million people. And then here comes Hitler. Yep. Six million people that never deserve to lose their lives just because they had some type of different view in life. This is human beings. It's, it's, it's you know, I guarantee you this podcast is not going to solve this problem, well, but we, this. we need to understand right. that history repeats itself and we Absolutely. do not want the world China talking about taking over Taiwan, all that stuff. It's just, it seems like it just never ends. We we you know? are at risk. I believe that we are at risk. And I think we're severely at risk. And let me just say this. So, you know, half of my book is devoted to the diagnosis. This is what's happening. This is a the psychological way to actually understand what's happening rather than condemn it or ignore it or deny right. it or whatever. Agree other half of my book talks about what what have we learned from the best of psychology that we could actually begin to use on a national level to heal ourselves if we were educated enough to do that if we had the will to do that and if we were willing to stand up to some of the powers that be with the with the elements and the requirements for psychological health and well-being so one of the things one of the simple things i talk about um, is what if, you know, when a couple comes to therapy and they're, they're battling it out and each one thinks the other one is wrong and they want the therapist to side with them, which is, you know, how, how we are as human beings. Um, you know, the therapist doesn't take sides. The therapist no. is trying to help them communicate in a way to resolve their differences, in a way to resolve the hostility, in a way to come back together and make agreements and reconnect and repair the relationship. What if we were invested in having trained facilitators in Congress that moderated the conversation, that held people to being respectful, to deep listening, and to teaching <laughs> teaching our leaders how to listen to opposing points of view with the goal of finding some place to come together for the good of the American people, just like we want the parents to come together for the good of their family and their children. What if we yep. invested our money in having that kind of trained facilitation? Nobody's allowed to walk out of the room. Nobody gets to call names. Nobody makes death threats or threats of civil war or, or maligns anybody or their point yep. of view, but we learn to listen deeply. This is what the best psychology has to offer. And it, I got, it, I got one more question that I want okay. to ask you before, before we end, which you, you hit it on the nail is uh, as a teenager in my twenties, I used to listen to politics. I didn't vote. It's just, I didn't vote until later in my life, but that's okay. But I used to listen to them. And a lot of times they was discussed back and forth issues and things or whatever. Today it's different. We're talking about these are the leaders of our country. Right. Whether That's you whether you believe it or not, they are the leaders, right? They're the people that the rest of us listen to as sheep going and guiding. So if right. you have these leaders in our country, whether it's a state or, or federal government that are going through this, you know, childish actions is what I call it. Very. Uh, how are we going to convince the rest of our citizens to 
have a normal conversation to to be able to to heal each other because that's what it's going to take. We're going to have to come to a level, right, at a certain point back to where freedom of speech, you can say what you want and you can discuss it and and not walk off the conversation. Right. You got to be able to, you know, not necessarily have thick skin. It's, the, the issue is let's start listening. I listen to many people on both sides. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm just a human being. And it doesn't matter which side of the fence you're on. What I, what matters to me is you have a conversation and you don't run off. That's because right. you, nothing's going to get solved because you disagree with somebody. Matter of fact, that's why we have the First Amendment. So we can disagree. So we can solve the problems of our country. That's a lot right. of people don't understand that. They think it's, you know, you can say what you want to say. And and you should be able to say what you want to say. If you disagree with it, then you disagree with it and you come together and kind of figure it out. You don't just say, you can't say that. You can't be like that. That's, if you if you run off, they're going to keep being like that. Does that make sense? Right. And I think that the piece that goes right along with that is we all want to be heard. I don't know yes, anybody. Absolutely. But what we're not doing is listening to the other people the way we want to be heard. So we're demanding that other people hear us without hearing them. And that's just a recipe for disaster. So I want to, uh, let me throw something in here. We talk about yeah. listening, right? My wife and I went to many different uh, sessions marriage counseling, whatever word you want to use. And they give us this little uh, round thing, you know, listen to me, whatever. And we would mm -hmm. be able to pass it back and forth. Mm -hmm. Whoever had that could talk and the other right. person listen. Right. That's huge. It that's, made a, huge. that's why I'm still married for 40 years. That's right. Because we realized we really have to listen to each other. That's right. And not argue, just, just, sit back, listen, absorb it, and, and understand what is coming out of that person's head. Yeah. That's what we need. We need a disc, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about, to give to everybody <laughs> that don't want to listen and say, hey, it's time for you guys to start listening. Just, I just want to bring wow. it up. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. I, I read an article about, I don't know if it still exists, I'd have to find out, but it was a group of people called the Braver Angels. And their whole, it was a nonprofit, and their whole mission was to bring people on different sides of the aisle together, just people in the community, to practice those listening skills. So they had conservatives and liberals and Republicans and Democrats in the same room, people who volunteered to be part of the communication. And I loved what this one woman said in the article that I read. She said, you know, when we really practice deep listening, we found that we weren't even that far apart, that we really were able to hear each other and kind of get to the place where we just understood we were all Americans. And yes. that's what we want in our leadership. We sure. want that all modeled in our leadership, just like we want that in our homes. If, if your life is ingrained in politics, whether side, whatever it is, you, you're in trouble. I don't care what direction you're being guided. You're, because if if you're on this side of the fence tremendously or that side of the fence tremendously, you're missing life. You're missing everything that's involved with being an American citizen and, and why the founding fathers de developed this country the way they did that. So... All right. How do our listeners get a hold of you? Are you on social media? Yeah, those kind of things. How can they reconnect with you to get more information on your books and so Absolutely. forth? Absolutely. Uh, and I do not have a release date for my book yet, but as soon as I do, I on my website, you will be able to like pre-order or at least even now, if you go to my website, which is www.phyllislevitt.com, and I'll spell it because there's different spellings for my name. Oh, it's yeah. P-H-Y-L-L-I-S-L-E-A-V-I-T-T. <laughs> -L -L -T. If you go to my website, you can just sign in with your email. You'll be the first one to know when my book comes out. 
Um, and you can, and my, my website is right now in the process of being redesigned. So it'll be a little bit updated very soon and it'll be totally focused on my new book, America and therapy, but I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn is a good place to connect with me. I have, you know, lots of posts and some articles on LinkedIn. Um, if you sign in also on my, um, website, uh, I will send you my newsletter and I always, you know, just put different and new, you know, little upgrades of information in my newsletter. I'm on Instagram and Twitter and, um, I have lots of podcasts on YouTube. You can just go to my name on YouTube and find me there. Um, and just, you know, please subscribe or, uh, leave your email is the best way to stay in touch with right. me. Um, if there's anyone out there who would like me to speak on your venue, I'm so willing and eager to do that. So awesome. Um, yeah, so what I'm going to do is in our show notes, you know, on, well, first off, this is going to be on rumble and it's also going to be on the podcast and right. in there, I'll put all the links to your website, to your LinkedIn and so forth. So all you got to do is just go to the show notes and click on the link and you can uh, connect with Phyllis just like that. So Thank I appreciate you. you so much for being on the show. Uh, this was awesome. I, I love the conversation and I wish the best for you and pray to God that your life is peaceful and that you succeed and continue to do what you do to help people to understand you're a human being, you're important, and all this trash that's in your life, you got to let it go. Well, thank you so much. And I wish many blessings for you and the continued beautiful work that you're doing. Thank you. Absolutely. Take care of yourself. I'll talk to you later. Wish the buck was still silver And it was back when the country was strong Back before Elvis, before the Vietnam War came along Before the Beatles and yesterday when a man could still work and still would It's the best of free life behind us now The good time's really over for good I wish Coke was still cola And a joint was a bad place to be It was back before Nixon lied to us all on TV. Before microwave ovens, when a girl could still cook and still would. It's the best of the free life behind us now. The good times really over for good I'll be rolling down a hill like a snowball headed for hell With no kind of chance for the flag or the liberty bell I wish a Ford and a Chevy would still last 10 years like they should. The best of the free life behind us now. The good time's really over for good. Stop rolling downhill like a snowball headed for hell. Thank you, Stand up.